0: Conclusions are incredibly helpful in stories, right? They bring a story to its climax, or not really its climax, but they bring the story to its resolution. They bring us relief to the tension of the story. They give us a, a sense of closure to the story. Without the conclusion, well, there is no sense of closure. We're left wondering, well, what if? What if? What's going on? What's going to happen? In the Scriptures, we have examples of good conclusions. So, for example, in the book of Job... In Job's story, as many of, as many of you know, right, he lost many things and he suffered greatly. And then towards the end of the book, it tells us that he was blessed more with more than what he had originally in the very beginning. That's a good conclusion, especially to a painful story. And then we have an example in the Scriptures of, of a not-so-good conclusion to a story. So for example, in Acts chapter 28, this is after Paul was arrested because of the angry and the envy of the Jews. He makes his appeal to Caesar. He wants to go and see Caesar and make his case before Caesar, but ultimately he's desirous to share the gospel with Caesar. And then towards the end of the book, what you have is his travels, and he makes his way to Rome, and he finally gets to Rome, and then he's under house arrest and then Acts ends by saying, in Acts 28, verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. That's great, but there's no resolution to the story. Right? We have to sort of go outside of the New Testament, to figure out what exactly happened to the Apostle Paul. But Luke, for whatever reason, decides it to end it like that, without really any closure to, stories, to, this, to Paul's story. While this may not be a very good conclusion, I do think that it actually fits very well with the book of Acts, and we'll get to that at the very end. And with that, we are starting today a series through the book of Acts, And really, this sermon today, this morning, is intended to be sort of an introductory sermon. My hope and desire is really just to help us cast a vision for the book and hopefully cast a vision for what we want to see the Lord do in our own lives, and I'm including myself as well, but also what we might desire for the Lord to do in us as a church so, we begin with a vision for the book, and really from beginning to end is casting a vision for the book. But let me start out by giving you some of the reasons why we're working through the book of Acts. And one reason is to encourage us to believe. Now, certainly, if you he are here this morning and you consider yourself a child of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ, and certainly you believe in the gospel. Otherwise, you would not be here this morning as a child of God without believing in the gospel. And it's one thing to say intellectually, yes, I believe in the gospel. But how much do you really believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And throughout history, there's been great awakenings where people are coming to a realization of the gospel and the reality of God and Christ and coming judgment there have been revivals where people there's an influx of people who are rushing to get into the kingdom of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you may be familiar with incredible ministries in the past where people have believed in the gospel. Like one, for example, is the ministry of Charles Spurgeon who, under his ministry, thousands upon thousands of people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we might consider all those events and all those individuals as sort of exceptions, or might consider those details or those events in history as like, well, those are special times, those are special occasions, those were especially gifted individuals in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is certainly a degree of truth to that, but what you see, what I want to sort of fight against is to see these things as special occasions and to think to ourselves, well, the Lord just works differently today. And that if we're not seeing salvation today, it's just, well, it's just because the Lord has not made it so. And sort of this area or this place of contentment. When I don't think we should be content or just expect that things are the way they are only because God has perhaps foreordained that they be this way. But when, you, when we go through the book of Acts, pay attention to the works of the Spirit of God because the same Spirit that was alive and well and working and bringing many people to salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same Spirit who is alive today and resides in the church of the living God. For many, my desire for us, my desire for my, myself personally is that the Lord would increase our faith to help us to believe that, yes, man can be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God can bring people in to hear the gospel and that they actually would believe and be saved and experience the regenerating work of the Spirit of God. So my desire and hope is that our faith together would be strengthened and built up and encouraged to believe that God, yes, can work today if we will believe and if we will pray. Secondly, the reason we're going through the book of Acts is to encourage us to evangelize and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the gospel that brings the power of God about to bring people to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the power is not activated until we actually go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now certainly here at our church we believe that God predestines people to salvation. We believe that God elects people before the foundation of the world. But we also believe that people will not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ apart from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. How those two things work together, I have no idea. But the Bible puts those two things together and says, this is how it works. Romans 10 says, How then will they call in Him on whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I'm struck by Acts chapter 4, when after the apostles were arrested and they were threatened by the Jews to stop preaching the name of Jesus Christ, they go to the church and they begin to pray. And they pray, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And towards the end, the Lord grants them the request and gives them the boldness. And as you continue to read the book of Acts, they receive that boldness. They have the boldness to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though they are often threatened. Have you been threatened lately for preaching the gospel? My guess is probably not. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for boldness. Certainly we do need boldness. I need the boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my hope and desire is that we would pray fervently for boldness and that we would go out and share the gospel with boldness so that people might hear and be saved. Our job is not to save anybody. Our job is simply to share. There's been seasons in my life where I have struggled with not sharing the gospel and even feeling guilty. And I've even at times even questioned my own salvation for not sharing the gospel as often as I should. But guilt, so I say this because I don't want anybody to feel guilty because they're not sharing the gospel. The Lord doesn't want anybody to feel guilty. Guilt has to do with has a has a legal sense to it. Guilt has to do with having transgressed some kind of command or crossed a line that shouldn't be crossed. And I want you to be absolutely confident and sure that your salvation is not based upon how often you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your salvation is determined by faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. The aim is not to feel any guilt for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But With that being said, my prayer and hope is that as we work through the book of Acts, is that we might be encouraged and enlivened to share the gospel with those who have yet to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And what we need is a growing love for the lost. Another reason why we're working through the book of Acts, and I do say this with a sense of pride, and that is that we have within us a desirable community. One of the greatest impediments to gospel salvation is when there is a community of believers that just simply can't get along. Right? Nobody wants to be a part of that kind of community. When you read through the book of Acts and you see Acts chapter 2 and the kind of community that the gospel produced, you see a kind of community, a community that everybody wants to be a part of. And certainly, we're not a perfect community. There's no perfect gospel community in the world. But what we do have is a community where there is love, where there is unity, where there is fellowship, where people want to get together with one another and encourage one another and pray together. And to me, in my mind, that makes me want to share the gospel and invite others in because they can see through our community the gospel alive and well. A gospel community is like an oasis for travelers journeying through the dusty wastelands of the world looking for water and rest. Where they kneel at the pool of water to drink, they should not taste the bitterness of grudges or animosity, or gossip, or unrepented sin, or any other thing that the Lord is displeased with. But they should be refreshed as they drink of a water that they have never tasted before, that refreshes and rejuvenates and revives like no other water does or can do, save the water that Jesus offers through his gospel. And given freely to anyone who thirsts, it would receive. And it's been an encouragement to me the past few years to see our church continue to grow in its fellowship, and its community, and its love. And so we, and let that be a motivation for us to share the gospel because we have something here that is precious that anyone would desire to be a part of. And it's not because of us alone, but because Christ and the gospel produces this. Now, switch gears a little bit. Some things that you might be helped with in considering the book of Acts and some details and some background. As we read in the beginning of Acts and also in Luke A target person of the book is Theophilus. We don't know much about him. I said that he might have been a God-fearer, or perhaps even a believer, or perhaps somebody who was on the cusp of believing in the gospel. But it was written so that he might be certain, which goes to the question of truth. And that's just what this book is intended to do, is to explain to us and teach us and persuade us of what the truth is. And considering Theophilus and his having certainty regarding the things that he had been taught and perhaps have heard, he certainly would have heard a lot of things, especially many people around that time would have heard a lot of things about those Christians. And probably, most likely, a lot of negative things. Oh, there's the Apostle Paul again getting arrested. Oh, there's the Apostle Peter causing an uproar once again, the third time this week. Oh, there's another apostle getting arrested for the fifth time. Oh, here are these Christians disrupting everybody, disrupting everybody's livelihood, doing all these things. They're just a bunch of hooligans. Worse, they're probably just a bunch of criminals who cannot keep the peace and maintain the peace and do what is right according to the empire and our society and culture. But with the book of Acts and the book of Luke, do what they do is that they show the innocency of the Christian faith. No, they're not just a bunch of criminals. No, they're not sort of doing what they're doing in order to disrupt people's lives. Instead, all they're trying to do is share the gospel. All they're trying to do is get together with one another. All they're trying to do is to worship the God that they worship. This Jesus that you may have heard of is not a criminal, but is an innocent man who died on the cross. And even Pilate himself, the governor who handed over Jesus to be crucified, even he himself said, I find no guilt in this man. And Acts has found a valuable place in church history. In one particular case, which is Soon after the Apostle Paul died, there was a man by the name of Marcion, who was a devotee of the Apostle Paul. But he greatly misunderstood the teachings of Paul. And So he saw that as, he, he believed that it was his task to protect the teachings of Paul, and he believed that Paul taught, essentially, a different teaching than Jesus Christ. Essentially, he believed that the God that Jesus reveals is a different God than the God of the Old Testament. That the faith of the Old Testament has nothing to do with the faith of the New Testament. He promoted a different gospel, and so the Church of Rome and many other churches came together to help the churches be more precise in what they believe. And so the book of Luke, or rather, a book of Acts, became incredibly helpful because what this book shows is that there is a consistency, not only with the teachings of Paul, but also with the teachings of the other apostles. Not only with them, but also consistent with the teachings of the Old Testament as well. And with the book of Acts... The Acts points to the works of someone, and we know it historically, the Acts of the Apostles, the doings of the Apostles, the works of the Apostles. Back then, when you read the Acts of someone, it would be the Acts of someone, say Caesar, or the Acts of, say, Alexander the Great, and what he had done and what he accomplished. I like how one of the early church preachers, John Chrysostom, had said about how he had titled the book of Acts. He had titled it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because indeed, that is what we see throughout the book of Acts. It is the workings of the Spirit of God. But even the Spirit of God is, in, is there to point us to someone else, and that is Jesus Christ, who is the hero of the story of the book of Acts. Everything surrounds Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. Everything surrounds the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so what we see through the book of Acts is that Christ Jesus has not abandoned His work or left His work unfinished, but He continues His work throughout the early church age and even to this day. In John 13, Verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, this is when Jesus gathered with his disciples moments before his crucifixion. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that it had come from God and was going back to God, Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. There are so many things that the mind of Christ was occupied with in these last moments of his life. He knew that he was about to depart out of the world. He knew that the end of his earthly life was coming. Not only that, but he also knew that Judas was a betrayer. So he also knew that he was moments from his arrest. The other thing that occupied his mind was the fact that he was returning to God, to the place where he came from. And that is glorious. But it also tells us here, having considered these things, that he loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end speaks of the permanent love of Christ, the enduring love of Christ, the steadfast love of Jesus Christ. And as we consider the book of Acts, what we read here is how much Jesus loved his own, that his love continues to endure, that his love continues to be fixed and permanent, The Acts of the Apostles is the Acts of Christ where he displays his glorious and wonderful love towards his people and as the gospel continues to go forth and inviting others to come and see and behold the glory of Christ and the love of Christ. Second, some dominant themes in the book of Acts There's a book, or rather a movie called 1917, and in the the beginning of the movie, one of the main characters tells the other character to, to keep your eye on the trees, which I think is actually a word to the viewer as well. And so as we continue through the book of Acts, as we watch what happens to the book of Acts, keep your eye on some of the trees here, and one of those trees is the plan and the work of God. Acts 5, verse 30 The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Acts shows us the incredible plan and the work of God. God who raised Jesus from the dead. God who exalted Christ at the right hand. God who gives his spirit to those who obey him. From beginning to end, what we see is the work of God on display through the life of His church and through His apostles as the gospel continues to be proclaimed. Later on, we'll work through Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter seven, and even Acts or even Stephen shows the incredible plan of God from the very beginning down to the crucifixion and ascension of Jesus Christ. It traces the line of salvation from beginning to Jesus Christ, all the incredible plan and work of God. And what we see through the book of Acts is that this isn't a program of human invention, but it is a plan of divine origin and divine orchestration. Yes, we see human beings, namely God's people, serving, fellowshipping with one another, evangelizing. But ultimately, they are human agents used by the hand of God to bring about the salvation of the lost according to the eternal plan of God. This is all the work of God. Keep your eye on the trees. Another one is mission and inclusion of Gentiles. Praise be to God. Right, You and I are here today because the gospel has gone forth to the Gentiles. We are saved because this gospel expanded in, uh, to include people from all nations, tribes and tongues and cultures. God's mission is a mission of salvation. Not judgment, and the judgment's coming later, but God's mission is salvation, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mark 10:45: Jesus' mission. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is the mission of Jesus Christ, the mission of God. That is the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To go and proclaim salvation to the lost. When the Apostle Paul was describing his own ministry, He says that it is a ministry given to proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and be given a place among the saints. One commentator uh, realizes that there are at least seven descriptions of the Gentiles in the book of Acts. There's ignorance that leads to idolatry, rejecting God's purpose and revelation in history, which you then see in the hostility towards the Jews and the hostility of Pilate in rejecting Jesus. There's they're described as idolaters, materialistic, engaged in unethical behavior. They're said to be under Satan's power, And subject to judgment but praise be to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ this is no longer our description but we're considered to be sons and daughters of God we're considered to be inheritors of Jesus Christ we are considered to be saints sanctified purified by the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we see through the book of Acts as the gospel continues to go forth is that this gospel is freely given and freely preached to all kinds of people in the world and societies and cultures, from the rich and powerful to the, the weak and the poor, to male and female, to merchants, jailers, poor widows, provincials, centurions in the military, proconsuls, governors, kings, philosophers, and yes, even Caesar himself. So that there is not a person in the entire planet who has said that they cannot ever receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep your eye on the trees. Another one: Jesus as Lord of all. Acts 2:36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Christ, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus says that all authority has been given him. Go therefore and proclaim the gospel to all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The stories and the testimonies that we read and learn about through the book of Acts proves that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Lord of all, who has all authority, who sends forth his apostles and his church to proclaim the gospel to the lost. So that what we read in the book of Acts is not the passivity of a God who finished his work on the cross and then went up to heaven to sit on his lazy boy chair. Instead, what we read in the book of Acts is is the vigorously active workings of a Savior through His Spirit to bring about salvation and bring glory to Himself. When Jesus said that He would be with His people always, even to the end of the age, Acts goes on to show us that Jesus is, in fact, keeping His promise to be with His people at that moment in time and even right now. The Lord remains with his people. Another one to keep your eye on is gospel community. On the heels of Peter's preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 2, what we immediately see is the birth of the first church, and it tells us that this church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. These the characteristics that distinguished this gospel community. And this became a community that the world has never seen before. And it is a community, as we read through the book of Acts, we see that it is a community that Christ is with. And we see, for example, in Saul's conversion as he's going to Damascus, where Jesus confronts him and says, Why are you persecuting me? and there identifies himself with his church. It is a community that Christ blesses. In Acts 9.31, we see how the church is comforted by God, and they are multiplied. And with that, it is a community that Christ does multiply. We see in Acts 2.47 where it tells us that more and more were added to their number. And we also see that this community is a community that Christ is eager to protect which we see, for example, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit of God, who lied to the church, who lied to the apostles, and the lives were snuffed out, which I'm convinced shows that God is eager to protect the unity of his church. We see it, for example, in the establishment of deacons in the church at a time where some of the needs were being neglected and at a moment where the church could have been Incredibly divided. The deacons were established to help protect that unity of the church. We see Christ's eagerness to protect the unity of his church. For example, in Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders, when he warns them about fierce and ravenous wolves who seek to, to devour God's people and lead them astray, he exhorts them to protect God's flock based on the fact that Christ Jesus died for his church by giving his own blood. Keep your eye on gospel community as we read through the book of Acts. Another one to keep your eye on is the law with this community of believers. There's a concern here that we will eventually get to and that is how do Jews and Gentiles relate to one another? Right, what is to be done? Do we command, do we exhort the Gentiles to ascribe to the law, to the same customs that the Jews have been accustomed to? Right, and the short answer is no. Like, why would we put upon them a yoke that even our forefathers could not bear? So that, but this becomes an important question in this community, which although also shows the great value of this community as well. Now, I have one more, one more to keep your eye on. This will actually bring us to our third and last point, and that is the triumph of the gospel. This community that the gospel produces is a distinct community, and there's two dimensions to this, com- this community that makes it distinguishable from every other community you might find in the world. And one is that the gospel produces changed lives, which you see in the lives of this community, which points to the ethics of the book of Acts. As we read through Acts and as we read of this gospel community, what we see is people turning from sins that were once acceptable, people turning away from idolatry, turning away from applauding and approving what the Bible condemns, and loving, and commending, and applauding, and living according to those things that God is pleased with. Such as chastity, soberness, self-control, not looking down on others who are of a lower class than you, not being judgmental to those who were of a higher class than you, giving their lives to serve and honor others instead of looking to be served and to bring honor to oneself, a forsaking of materialism, telling the truth, and above all, the worship of the true and living God. They became a distinct people, and it was easy to tell. Because when you have neighbors who know you well, and they realize, hey, I didn't see you at the temple this morning to worship our God, what happened? Right, became easily distinguishable. Or when you would invite a neighbor to your home and they would re- realize that you don't have the same pagan idols that you used to have in your home and ask, you, hey, what gives? What happened? Where are they? Right? It became easily distinguishable for this community to live the lives according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a drastically different lifestyle that was noticeable to everyone else. For them, becoming a Christian was costly. The losing, perhaps, of a social capital, the honor and respect of your peers, for some, it meant a loss of income because now you're not offering all these meats that have been sacrificed to idols, or you're no longer producing these idols as a means of income to sell to others. Easily distinguishable community because they lived a drastically different lifestyle because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is the kind of community that God blesses. Another dimension to this distinct community was their evangelism. The gospel produces a people whose lives are forever changed, and they are also marked by a mission, and that mission is to go and to tell. Tell what? To tell the saving news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a God who has come into the world, who's lived a perfect life, who's died on the cross innocently and rose again from the dead, so that anyone who believes in Him and gives their lives to following this Savior receive the forgiveness of their sins and is spared from the judgment of God. I love. The, the, the simplicity of the eschatology or the end times of the book of Luke, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's just, the end is coming. That's it. The end is coming. And this seemed to put sort of a, 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 a fire in people's feet to go with urgency to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The end is coming. What you see before you is going, not going to last for very long. We don't know when, but it's all going to come to a dramatic conclusion when Jesus Christ returns, so therefore you must believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ right now. The triumph of the gospel produces a distinct community that's characterized by honoring God and the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And how far are we to go with the proclamation of the gospel? to the ends of the earth. Luke twenty four forty six. 46. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And interestingly, what we see in, in the book of Acts is the gospel beginning in Jerusalem and gradually then turning out to the rest of the world. Matthew twenty four fourteen and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And what empowers God's people to proclaim the gospel? It's none other than the Holy Spirit of God. The same spirit in them and the apostles in this early church. It's the same the same spirit that is alive and well in our church and is alive and well in you and I. The question is: Do you believe that God can work through you to share the gospel with others? The apostle Paul. I don't sure this has a point of comparison. No one in their right mind should compare themselves to the apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul, within the span of 10 years, maybe a little, over, a little more than 10 years, was able to establish churches in four provinces in the Roman Empire. In Asia, Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia. And what's, what's startling to me is that Apostle Paul didn't have like this evangelism program that he worked through. Not to say that there's no, any, no value in evangelism programs. There's a lot of evangelism programs out there. A lot of them. Some of them are fine. Some of them are good. Some of them I don't think are very good at all. The Apostle Paul had no evangelism program. He had no denomination to throw all this money at him and say, hey, go and preach the gospel. In fact, he says himself that he worked with his own hands to provide for himself. He didn't get some missions or evangelism training and that certainly can have some value. But what did he have? All he had was two things all he had was the Word of God, and he had the Holy Spirit of God. That's it. At the end of the day, that's all you really need. If you have the Spirit of God, you're equipped with all that you need. Do you know the Word of God? Do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? You have what you need to share the gospel. It's that simple. Praying that God would energize us and equip us and strengthen us and encourage us to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a song by Keith Green. I think it was called "Asleep in the Light," and it's a song in there that certainly does not speak of the Apostle Paul. This is this is a part in the song that says that Christ Jesus rose from the dead, and you can't even get out of bed. And it's comical, but it is. All I have to say is that let us be energized to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, there are some days when it's tough. Yes, we have no idea what the year looks like. You may have some tough seasons where it might be difficult to get out of bed. But let our lives generally be characterized by this energy to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to manufacture that energy within yourself. The Lord is the one who gives that energy to proclaim the gospel. Colossians 1.29, the Apostle Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with not my energy, but His energy, that He powerfully works within me. It is the energy of God that He gives to those who are His to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just simply need to Pray. Pray and pray and pray that God would give us the energy, the desire, the zeal to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to encourage us in our faith to believe that, yes, God can save. And You might be here this morning and you might think that it is absolutely impossible to believe that a loved one, a dear friend that you've been praying for a long time or your neighbor or a coworker, somebody that you think is just so hard to the gospel, for that person to come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, But as we go through the book of Acts, my hope and desire, my prayer for you is that you might believe that those individuals that you have been praying for for a long time, that those individuals that you have been sharing the gospel with for a long time, that those individuals in your life, in your your circles, who you believe is almost impossible for them to come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you would believe that God is able to do it. Because we believe in a powerful God because we believe in a God who still is alive today and is alive through His church and is today saving people through Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that it is everyone's task to go into literally all the world to proclaim the gospel. But as a church, it is our mission to do what we can to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of that might be going. Some of that might be sending. Some of that might be giving, so that those who have yet to hear the name of Jesus may hear the name of Jesus, so that those who have yet to have a Bible translated into their own language, they might have access to the Bible, so that they can, they can read the gospel in their own language. And that we also might be faithful in our own circles, wherever God has called us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we conclude where we began. The book of Acts has no formal conclusion. For what a reason Luke decided to end it there, but perhaps God intended the book to be ended in this way. And one reason perhaps might be because the book is still being written. Yes, the Acts of the Apostles died with the last apostle, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit have not ceased. The acts of Christ have not ceased. Christ continues to work through the life of His church today. We stand here today because God is faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring us to saving faith in the Lord. Christ is still building His church. So my prayer is that God would increase our faith the Lord would erase our unbelief. That Christ would embolden us to share the gospel, to hunger us, to desire to see a great salvation, to fill us with His Spirit, to intensify in us a love for the lost and use us for His glory.